Hope Church. All right, good morning, everybody. We excited this morning? I like that. I like that. That's good stuff right there. We had some good news this morning, right? Anybody, if you haven't heard yet, little Josephine uh, May McQueen was born this morning at 4.55 a.m., weighing in at 7 pounds, 13 ounces, 19 and a half inches long. So praise the Lord for that. So we'll give the McQueens a pass for not being here uh, this morning. Um, you know, that'd be a short turnaround time. No, sure. Just kidding, just kidding. So um, this morning we're going to continue through our study uh, through the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 10. We're going to finish up um, chapter 10 this morning, uh, verses uh, 32 through 42 will be our emphasis. But let's go again to the Lord in prayer. And uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning, um, the privilege to look into your word. And Lord, we want to give you thanks and, and praise and all glory for who you are, God, and uh, for every good thing that comes out of our lives and out of this uh, church and out of this uh, time together, Lord, that you would receive all the glory and honor and praise. Uh, So help us to worship you with uh, full hearts and clear minds, and Lord, help us to learn from you this morning and to learn uh, from your word. We pray that you would instruct us and you would teach us, and so, Lord, Everything that is true and right, help us to take that in and help us uh, with anything that's said this morning or in our hearts or heads that isn't line up with your truth, that we would quickly forget that and and move on. And Lord, we just um, thank you for each person who's here and each family represented. We ask that you would bless each one. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So this morning, as we go through verses 32 through 33, we need to remember the context Um, of what Jesus has previously talked about, and he's talked about, you know, faith and and fear and, you know, what we should fear and what we shouldn't fear. And so in verse 28, just as a reminder from last week, or if you weren't able to be with us last week, um, verse 28, he says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So let's go back and just remind us ourselves, because this is really important that we understand this properly, because Jesus is beginning his statement by saying, hey, if, if you're going to fear, don't fear don't fear men, because the worst they can do to you is to end your human life. And logically speaking, your life is already short as it is. We're even celebrate you know new life this morning, but even still, you know, within a hundred years, new life is it has passed. You know, let, let's be realistic about that. I know I don't want to be a Debbie Downer um, this morning, but those are just you know the realities of the situation that we have to face and. And to deal with, and a lot of times we don't want to talk about or we don't want to face that reality, but we need to because it does help us to focus on what is important. And we are tempted to be distracted by a million things that are not that important. We can be distracted by a million things in this, in this world 
and have our focus and our hearts and our attention on all of that where it's really not that big of a thing and forget about what truly is big and what truly is important. I have that tendency. You have that tendency. We're humans. We all have that tendency. So we need to be reminded about what's, what's true and to have the big picture perspective and then to strive each day to live according to that big picture perspective. So he says, don't fear those who can just take your physical life. But you're, you, know, you're, you are an eternal being, an eternal spiritual being. So the big picture, they can only take a small bit from you. But the real you lasts for all of eternity. You know, think about that. From this point forward, you know, go out a hundred million years, you still exist. Compared to the short time we have on here on this earth, what's the priority? Where should our focus be? But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So if you're going to choose between fearing men and fearing God, it only makes sense to fear God because he's all-powerful and he has authority over you in the eternal, ultimate sense. Whereas humans only have a very temporary power over you. But then he says this. He talks about the sparrows. And he talks about the hairy hairs of your head are all numbered, whether they are few or many. But he, so, so then he says, don't fear, therefore, because you are of more value than many sparrows. And so what Jesus is saying here is if you are in right, right relationship with God, you actually have nothing to fear in life. Because you don't have to fear what humans can do to you, because they can ultimately do very little to you, and you don't have to fear what God can do to you, because you are in right relationship with him. Ultimately, we know that that right relationship with him is through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you're in that right relationship, you don't have to fear either. Now, that doesn't mean we remove our respect from God. That doesn't re- mean that we move our reverence for God. We still have to maintain this. Just because Jesus died on the cross for, your, for our sins and rose again and has victory everything and has put us into God's family doesn't take away our necessity for utter, utmost reverence, respect and love and care for God and His name. And then, then um, Jesus goes on to say this in verse 32, get into our passage for this morning. He says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, again, sometimes there's that very real choice between God and men. He's going to expound on this more but we need to understand what deny here you know really means and to do that I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 through 13 because we let the scripture really inform us on what the scripture means okay and so um, through the Holy Spirit Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 2 chapter, chapter chapter 2 verse 11 through 13 he says this is a faithful saying For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. 
If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Okay, so what does this mean? This is a faithful saying. So this is true. This is important. This is good. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. What does that mean? It means that if you are, through your faith, you're identified in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then you are also identified in him in his life, you know, his, his resurrection. So if you're identified in his death, you're also identified in his resurrection. Well, how are you identified with him? Through belief, through faith in him, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead, that you trust him as your savior and as your king. And when you do that, you are identified with him. It's as if you died with him and rose with him. You are part and parcel with that. You, you receive all the benefits of what Jesus did for us at the cross. And you receive all the benefits of the power of his resurrection. And then he says in verse 12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. What is that means? It means that you lived a faithful life with Jesus for his purpose, for his glory, that you worked hard to be a good representative, a good ambassador of his in this world. And whatever situation you know you were in, you strove to be faithful with him. There's a reward for those who do so, to reign with him, if we endure. But then he says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. This is the opposite of the faith that was talked about earlier, about being identified in his death and resurrection. It's instead of being identified with that, it is a rejection of Jesus and his gospel. It's a person saying, I don't want anything to do you know, with that. Now, for some, this happens when they first <clears throat> hear the gospel. Others may have an appearance of having acknowledged the gospel. For example, you know, Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. I think it's obvious because he betrayed Jesus that he never had a a full and true faith in Jesus. He denied him. That denial, you know, God always knew it was there, but for the, you know, the outsiders, you know, there's probably at least part of the time where the other 11 disciples think he's one of us, but he's not really. His heart has not gone had not gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And this was evidenced by the fact that he can, you know, even as a disciple, you know, in that group of disciples, he, you know, was stealing from out of the treasury. You know, out of the money that they had for their supplies and what would go to the poor, he was taking some for himself and putting it in his own pocket. His greed, his deceptions had not been dealt with. And because those things had not been dealt with, he was opened up to be one who would betray Jesus. But then verse 13 is very hopeful for us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Which What this means is there is room for error 
for the believer. If you are faithless, if in that moment of pressure you are a true believer, but in the moment of pressure you fail to do what you know to do is right, there is still grace. He remains faithful because if you're truly identified with him, he cannot deny you because to deny you would be the same as denying himself. He cannot deny himself. This is our great hope because we know we are still prone, you know, still likely even at times in our lives to make mistakes, to not stand when we should stand, to not speak when we should speak, or to acquiesce to the sin and evil in our world. And if we are not in that moment in tune with the Spirit and walking in the power of the Spirit, and if you're there in your flesh, your flesh tends to fail. Tends to fail. So praise God, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So this is how we need to understand here Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, and what the type of denial, that ultimate denial that Jesus is speaking about here. You know, there's because there's a big difference, and God knows the difference between the betrayal of Judas Iscariot and the failure of Peter. He knows the difference at what's at the bottom of their hearts. He knows the difference in their true motivations in life. He is able to discern. For us, you know, initially, we may not be able to discern those things. But God always does. He knows the difference between the two. He knows whether somebody is a Judas or if somebody is a Peter. He knows the difference. But now, these words here are some of the hardest that Jesus says. I mean, let's just be upfront about 34 through 39. These are some of the most difficult verses, the difficult words that Jesus speaks. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Ouch. I mean, these are painful verses. And depending on your situation, they may be more painful. These verses will be more painful for some than for others. And I also don't want us to lose hope as we read these. But we need to understand, when Jesus says, do not think I came to bring peace on earth, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Like, how does that work? We know at the ultimate end, it is peace, right? At the ultimate end, there's peace. There's, you know, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, you know, that he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more crying. You know, there's, no, there's, there's going to be no more sadness. There's not going to be a reason for that anymore because death, the, you know, sickness, disease, the grave, everything ultimately defeated in the new heaven and new earth that we enjoy with Jesus. That's eternity. 
But to get there, there's going to be some times where there's not peace. To get there, there's going to be judgment because that same Jesus who brings peace is also the one who judges the nations. He's ultimately the judge. And there were going to be people, Jesus says, even in the same family, that some are going to be with him and some are going to be against him. Well, that's difficult because when we think about our family members, we love our family members. You have a natural blood you know, connection to them. You have some common shared experiences you know, with them, many of them. And so for those that find themselves in that situation, these are very difficult. Now, let's also be clear how this works. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus, they are not to be an aggressive adjutant in their family. But what's going, what often happens is somebody in a family comes to know Jesus and other family members will begin to hate that person because of that person's allegiance to Jesus. Okay? Um, and so the, the deal here is the follower of Jesus is never hating their family in the sense of an actual hate. Now, there's a comparative sense that because one is having to choose sometimes between Jesus and family, that that comparison is, is there. But the heart is one of love toward their family, even as Paul says about the entire nation of Israel, how I would be damned that my brothers would be, you know, my brethren would be saved. That he says he loves his people that much that he would be willing to make that trade. His own damnation for their salvation. Now that's a love that is like, that's a, I mean, that's a Jesus going to the cross sort of love. That's an otherworldly sort of love. Right? So you're, you're not, you know, you still love your family. Even if they reject you and they reject Jesus, your love is still for them. But your love is what desires what's best for them. And what's best for them is that they do what you've done. Repent of your sins. You know, confess Jesus as Savior and, and Lord. Ask for his forgiveness and his salvation. That's what you want for your family members. But sometimes, in their, their pride and their hatred for Jesus, you can find yourself as the one who receives the brunt of that. And so you can find yourself rejected by your family members because of Jesus. So what Jesus is saying here, when that choice comes, where you are rejected by father or mother, or by your, you know, your spouse's um, parents, or by your own children, what do you choose? Your allegiance to Jesus, or do you say, okay, well, forget the Jesus you know, stuff, I'm sorry, I'll put that aside, I'm back into the family. So this happens, and in, you know, for some of you, in your context, this is really hard to understand because you're in a family where most everyone, you know, loves Jesus, and if they don't, then they're kind of indifferent. But in many cultures, in many places, in many families, 
around this earth today, it is not that way. There's an antagonistic, you know, hatred toward the family members who have made their ultimate allegiance Jesus. People find themselves at the risk of even being killed by their own family members, not by a government, but by taking, being taken out into the street by their own family members and stoned to death or killed with a, you know, some sort of sword or a gun or whatever. This is real. This happens. In North Korea, this happens, where one person in the family becomes a follower of Jesus and a spouse or the children will turn that person in, turn spouse or parent into the government and say, they've become a follower of Jesus and that's a threat to the state. And that person will be executed. Like that happens. You know, with the Olympics right now in South Korea, you know, we t- that's like news, you know, so we you know, tend to focus on this a little bit more. Um, but, but listen to what Jesus says here in verse 38. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, we, we in our culture, because usually our stakes are less, we tend to take that phrase, take up your cross, uh, you know, sometimes a little bit flippantly. Something's minor. Oh, well, that's my cross to bear. You know? I mean, we'll even say it about, like, you know, well, there's leftover foods. Well, you know, I have to eat it. It's my cross to bear. You know, and make like a joke or something like that. You know, take it kind of flippantly. But what Jesus is saying here is, take up your method of execution. Take up the method of your own execution and follow after me. Because that's what that is. That cross is not a cute little symbol to be worn around, you know, the neck that is shiny and bright and says, happiness. That's not what that means. That symbol, it means death. Now, for us, it has a greater significance than just death because, you know, and so I'm not saying don't wear it or don't use it. Don't get me wrong. But we need to have our minds right about it. It's not like a cute ornament to wear around. If we're wearing it around, we need to understand what it is. It is a symbol of execution. And at the same time, it's a symbol of our salvation, the cost of our salvation. When you see it, it should remind you of the cost that Jesus suffered on one of these. He suffered on this cross so I could have life and life eternal in his name. It's a symbol of suffering. It's a symbol of forgiveness. It has great power in it, but it's not a trinket. It's not a good luck charm. It's not something trivial. It's not something to put on just to be beautiful. It is something that reminds us of the seriousness. So again, no problem with wearing it as long as we have an understanding of what we're actually symbolizing here, that we're remembering what it actually is. Because literally, the Roman soldiers 
you know, after the person is judged and deemed worthy of death, they made the person carry their own method of execution to the place where they would be executed. And then they were nailed to it and flung into the ground in it, and it was a gruesome and painful way to die. It was a torturous way to die. It was designed to take a while. It was not designed for mercy. It was not designed for justice. It was designed to torture and to kill with greatest amount of pain possible. And Jesus says, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, it's about the priorities that Jesus has for us. And, you know, I do understand in here that, that Jesus, the way he, you know, in, in still understanding the seriousness of the cross, the cross is going to be different for different people. What you're asked to carry from one person to another is different. What Paul was asked to carry is different from what Stephen was asked to carry, the first martyr. What Stephen was asked to carry is different from what John was asked to carry. What John was asked to carry is different than what Peter was asked to carry. What Mary was asked to carry was different than what Martha was asked to carry. One to the other. It's different depending on who you are, your circumstances, and God's design for your life. It's not all going to look the same. But we do all have to ask these basic questions concerning, in this passage, Jesus has three clear expectations for his followers. One, that we're willing to confess Jesus before strangers. That's one. Before men. That's not intimate, that's just people. One, Jesus expects me to confess him before people who are strangers. Two, that, Jesus, that we put our confession of Jesus above any other allegiance. Our allegiance to Jesus has to be higher than any other allegiance. You have an allegiance to your family? Of course you do. That's great. Allegiance to Jesus has to be higher. You have an allegiance to your job? Of course you do. That's great. Allegiance to Jesus has to be higher. You have an allegiance toward your nation? That's fine. To a certain degree. But your allegiance to Jesus has to greatly supersede that. Your allegiance to Jesus is higher than any other allegiance. Your allegiance to Jesus has to be higher, my allegiance to Jesus has to be higher than the allegiance I have to my own flesh and what my flesh wants. When my flesh wants to sin, my allegiance to Jesus needs to be higher than the desire to please the desires of the flesh. My desire to Jesus has to be higher. See, because there's certain about there where your, your cross is dictated based on where you live and how God has you to serve. And, you know, if you're being obedient, you might find yourself in a pretty safe context. But everybody endures temptation. Everybody's allegiance has to be higher day by day to Jesus than it is to sin. Because guess what? There's sins that each one of us in our flesh want to commit. 
sins of gossip, sins of greed, sins of sexual immorality. There are sins every day. That that's your cross. Where you're tempted. That's, your, that's a cross to take up and to carry. And to lose yourself. To lose the flesh. To lose your life. That, you know, that, that life that you would have apart from God. In order to, to truly find it. To find the life that is in God and that pleases God. And brings joy and relationship and fellowship with God. To enjoy that, each one of us have to fight hard to ensure that our allegiance to Jesus is higher than our allegiance to sin. We all have to fight hard for that. Some people in other circumstances also have to get tested. We don't have very much of people in our nation dying specifically because they're followers of Jesus. So we need to remember that when we're fighting our battles against the sin in our lives, that our struggles are the same that every believer follows has in the world, but not more than. And some have exceedingly more than. <clears throat> in terms of the physical side. Now on the emotional side, you know, I know, we know people in our own church have endured hardship from their families because of an allegiance to Jesus. That is a great burden to bear. That is a high cost. That is a large cross to carry. And so we need to make sure we're supporting those folks in our church and people that we know who have experienced that, that we are family to them and that they know that they have the love and support and care that they need to carry that cross. We need to make sure that we do that and that we do that you know, well. Because for some folks, and it's to different degrees, some people are, well, we love you, but we don't care anything about that, you know, things that you believe. Others, there's, you know, there's different degrees of animosity. But none of that is easy. And we need to be sure that we support, that we care for. And that's one of the important things about, you know, that we strive to live churches as family so that we know one another's, you know, situations. You know, we're not some huge church where people are mostly just strangers that gather together to sing the same songs and hear the same message. But that we're designed, you know, to know one another, to live life together, to care for one another's 
knees and to bear one another's burdens as the scriptures instructed us to. And that obviously I'm not, I mean, that can happen in a, in a bigger church, but it only happens again on a smaller level. It usually happens in a small group, right? But even for us, you still have to be intentional just because you're a small church. Doesn't mean you don't have to be intentional. You still walk in on a Sunday morning, say hey to a few folks and leave and not get below anything below the level, the surface level. It takes intentionality and it takes work relationally to know and to care and to pray. 40 through 42 as we finish up this morning. He who receives you receives me. Now again, we have context here. He's, he's talking specifically you know, to the apostles, but there's a, applications in this for all of us. He who receives you receives me, and who receives me receives him who sent me. That's the Father. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. There's a reward for everything done for Christ. But the type of reward, the size of the reward, um, is on par or goes along with the amount of work, sacrifice, and risk required for the task. Yet there's a reward for everything. But, you know, in these situations, you know, to take in a, in a prophet, well, if the other people don't like this person and are coming to kill this person, well, that's a great risk, a great responsibility, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of, you know, work. That's, you know, there is something for giving a cup of cold water. It's valuable. But things that do have different values, again, based on the amount of work and sacrifice and risk that is required. You know, God is, is just, you know, in, in all of that. Now, we all receive being part of the family of God. We all receive a place in the, you know, kingdom of God. But there are rewards that are given. Now, we see, again, in the book of Revelation, it seems like if we follow the example of the elders that are there who lay their crowns at the feet of Jesus, that that's our motivation. You want to have, you want to do well in this life for the Lord, so when you say thank you, you have something to say thank you with. You want to give that gift. Of what you of how you've worked and sacrificed the risks that you've taken for Jesus, and you want to lay them at His feet to say thank you. And this is about love, really. You know, let's not make it something more than it is, because it's not about the materials or the objects or whatever. It's about love, because when you really love somebody, you're willing to make sacrifices for that person, right? You know, if you if you love someone. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's a reason, you know, when a man asks a woman to marry him, he doesn't give her a gumball. He doesn't say, baby, this is my sacrifice for you. I love you so much. Here's one juicy gumball. Enjoy. You know, she's going to be like, what, you value me like a, you value a gumball? Like, like five cents? Let's, you know, hey, and in that case, if they all know that, praise God. All right. But... You find a woman happy with a gumball? Good on you. Okay. 
Well, no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to get myself in big trouble here. The message has gone. The message has gone awry. Um, all right, maybe throw a different illustration for that sportive. But um, anyway, back to the point. Not to get sidetracked. But you love, you know, you sacrifice according to your love. That's the point. You sacrifice according to your love. And it doesn't have to be anything even material. But you sacrifice according to your love. You know, you want that other person to know if you value them and care for them. You wanna, you're going to want to do things that show that you care and love that person that you did work, that you made sacrifice. This is the same thing with Jesus. I mean, imagine this. Well, Jesus, I love you. Well, how much? Well, I ain't got nothing to show for it. You know, no one of us would want that. None of us would want that. We would want to know, Lord Jesus, I loved you, and I loved you so much that I was willing to make these sacrifices and I was willing to suffer I was willing to go through difficult things in order to honor you and I mean even at the bare minimum Lord I loved you enough to put these sins out of my life that I didn't want to be because you freed me you freed me from sin I didn't want to go back and be a slave to it so at least I worked hard to not be a gossip anymore. I worked hard not to be somebody who's lusting all the time. Lord, I worked hard not to be greedy. I mean, wouldn't that be just like the minimum that we would want to say, you know, to Jesus, like, at least I did that for your name because I didn't want to bring dishonor to your name. I didn't want to bring negative things to your name. So I fought that hard then how much better on the flip side and say, Lord, I strove, you know, I wanted to tell people about you. And I know I missed opportunities, but I also took some opportunities that you gave me. Lord, I wasn't the richest person in the world, but you know my heart was to be generous towards others. Lord, you, you know in my flesh I can be kind of mean, but I really strove, I wanted to be kind to other people. I mean, all of that matters. All of that matters. How about this one? Lord, other people, the people that people ignored, I tried to be their friend. And share your love with them. I mean, whatever it is. You see, here's, the, here's this, the big picture with it all. We'll finish you know, with this. That regardless what your gifts are, regardless your place, regardless where you live, there are people around us all the time that we have an opportunity to share the love of God with, to make sacrifices for, just to take an extra few minutes out of your day, out of your time. Just to be kind. 
Like, we can do these things for Jesus. But here's the key in it all. It actually has to be for Jesus. That's got to be our allegiance and our motivation in what we're doing. We do it for, for His glory and for His name as a thank you to Him for all that He's done for us. That's our highest motivation. It's like we do it with reason. Because we know when we take that bread and the cup, we know who saved us. And we know the cost of it. We know the cross that Jesus took for us. And so we want to say thank you. Both by avoiding the negative and by pursuing the positive that God has for us. And that's our love and our thank you back to God. And so as we take that bread and that cup this morning, let's remind ourselves of that this morning and say, Jesus, in my own flesh, I can't do what you've asked. But in the spirit that you've given me with your strength and your power at work within me, I can walk with you in obedience and strive for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as we've Examine the words of Jesus this morning and Lord, despite illustrations that fail and things that don't work out, Lord, your word is still clear this morning for us. Your expectations for us, Jesus, are still very, very clear. So help us, Jesus, to be people who put sin away and we'll fight against that help us to be people who are not ashamed of your name but want to share the love that we've received Lord we think this morning about our brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea and in certain countries in the Middle East and other parts of the world where they truly are oppressed, persecuted because of your name. We ask that you would encourage them this morning and give them strength to keep moving towards you. Give them boldness, Lord. Help us, Lord, this morning we pray. Help us not to fear death or a short life or any of these things. But help us to fear dishonoring your name. Help us to fear not doing well with all that you've given us. But Lord, ultimately help our motivations to be out of love for you. Thank you so much for loving us. In your name, Jesus, we give you thanks.